There are not many more blessed verses in the Bible than these verses we just read right here. And the Bible's full of blessed verses all the way through. We even mentioned on Sunday night those names that half of us can't pronounce three of them. That's a, the line of promise that God had. There's blessedness in those lines in the Bible as well. I want to talk a little bit tonight about unwrapping heaven's gift. We all know what the Bible says. The Bible says it is more blessed to give than to receive, right? And I remember today, I had a, I teach at a small Bible college, I gave a final today. And thinking back when I was in college, this verse is so true, it is way more blessed to give a final than to receive a final. It is so true. Think of our students in school and things. It's way more blessed to give you a test than for me to take it, than when I had to take it. And we tease about that. <clears throat> but at this time of year, in the midst of giving and receiving gifts and all these things, even the biggest Scrooge around us likes to receive gifts. Right, Lori? <laughs> you are starting to look over at Ryan, so I got you. I saw you there. And... Uh, did you ever at Christmas, you got this gift that someone had gotten you, and uh, sometimes the kids, Caroline will wrap them and put them underneath the tree, and all you are doing is just enticing and tempting your children. That's what it is. You know, it's just like God put the, God put the tree in the garden, right? Well, we put the, tree, the gifts underneath the tree, and you'll hear them in the morning and one of them shaking something. I think this is mine. There's even been times where you see them try to take their little fingers and right where the tape is at, get the tape open. And I warn them, you open it and see it, I'm taking it back to the store. You're not going to even get it. And, um, but you ever you shake something or you're like, I wonder what it is. Is it what I want? I hope I'm not going to be disappointed when I open it. One of the biggest disappointments as a kid was getting a present from my parents saying, this is going to be the greatest thing. And it was socks and underwear. And I thought to myself, why I will never give kids socks and underwear for Christmas. Don't tell them. That's one of the things that they're getting this year. <laughs> but that was always the most disappointing gift because you're expecting something and, oh, new underwear. They're wonderful. And, uh, but I want, as we look at this tonight, and regardless if you get a new pair of bunny slippers or the car you've been dreaming of with that big, you know, I think they show those TV commercials. I wonder how much those bows would cost, that bow they put on the car. Probably one car payment, probably, when you're all said and done with it. But no gift you will ever receive in life, doesn't matter what it is from someone, doesn't compare to the gift that God gave us and his son. I think Paul said it better than anybody could ever say it in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. There is no way to quite describe it. He said that the gift that God gave this world was beyond description. There's nothing that could even describe. There are not the right words in our language, in the Greek, in the Hebrew, in any language to describe what God gave us in the gift that he gave us 2,000 years ago. He gave us his own son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son Whosoever believed in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And he gave his son to this world so that we could have eternal life. And so that we could be saved because the wages of sin is always death. But God's gift is eternal life given to us in his son. 
Paul talks about in these verses tonight here in Galatians chapter number 4, he talks about the unspeakable gift of God. It helps us tonight to understand Jesus, understand what was inside that gift that was given to us, and helps us understand Jesus' ministry as well as his uh, (coughs) mission. It makes it a little bit clearer for us in this passage. For a little bit of time, I want to unwrap heaven's gift. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll dive in. Father, I love you. and thank you for the time that we have here tonight. Thank you for your word and for your faithfulness and your love for us. Thank you for what you did sending your son for us. We could never repay you for what you've done. Thank you, and I pray that tonight you would help us as we study this out and see some things from your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Unwrapping heaven's gift number one. We see the mission of heaven's gift. The mission heaven's gift. You read there in verse number four. The Bible says here, but when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law to redeem them that were under the law that they might receive the adoptions of sons. See number one, the mission, letter A underneath that, we see the origin of his mission. The origin of his, the Bible says when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son. His mission was conceived in heaven and carried out here on earth. Contrary to popular belief, Jesus was not born in Bethlehem for the first time. He is the great I Am. He is the Alpha. He's the Omega. He's the beginning. He's the end. He's the first and the last. He was with God when the world was created. He created it. Bible tells us in Colossians chapter number 1, it says, Who in the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, for by him, talking about Jesus Christ, were all things created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. So long before he ever came, he already was. Another verse that comes to my mind is Revelation chapter 13, verse number 8. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the or whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb. Look at this slayed from the foundation of the world. Before God ever created mankind, God knew that Jesus would have to come. And Jesus was there that whole time. There are many people that have many wrong beliefs when it comes to Jesus Christ. There are many that you would probably listen to on the radio or on the television or on the internet who would say that Jesus at his baptism is when he became God. No, he was God in the flesh from the moment he got here. And he always has been. He always will be. And he knew some 2,000, not just 2,000 years ago, they know, but from the beginning of time. You realize something? This was not man's plan. This was not religion's plan. This was God's plan. Romans chapter 5, verse number 8, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Remember we talked about Sunday morning? How the angels in heaven didn't even know the mystery of God? The mystery of God is the church and how God would do the work that he's doing. They didn't even know it. God had a plan all the way along, all throughout time, and we see that. And I love how it says here, but when the fullness of time was come. You see, God doesn't ever come early, and he never comes late. He always comes right on time. 
You know, you think about it. That's one thing that's very hard for us to do, to be right on time. Can you be on time? If you notice tonight, the service started five minutes, 22 seconds late. I know how late it was tonight. I get that. If we were to start at 6.30 and 10 seconds, it would be late, right? If we at 6.30 and 1 second, late. If we start at 6.29 and 59 seconds, it would be early. So if you want to be on time, it would have to start right at 6.30, 0, 0, on the dot. We rarely are on time to anything. And this is how people are. I know no one who's on time. You're either early or you're late. And looking around the room, you're either early or you're late. The Sunday mornings, I just know there are certain families. This last week, the Lopez's, they were sick on Sunday. It was 10 minutes till church started, and their vehicle wasn't here. So what did I know? They were not going to be here. You know, you can say, well, they can pull up five minutes late. Nope, they don't ever show up late. They're always 15 to 10 minutes early or 20, never anything else. But then some of us, and maybe not you that are here tonight, but that are here on Sunday, we have our second service start at 11 o'clock, and 20, I'm still thinking, they're still coming, they're still coming. And 11.25, Lori walks from the house over and finally gets into church. <laughs> and so we're neither early or we're late, and you know, this is the problem. Let me give you a little thought here. If you aim time, you're going to be late. Okay? The, you know, this starts at 5, so I'm going to be there at 5. I promise you, you're going to be late. Be early with it. Anytime we go visit my, um, my in-laws back in Minnesota, my mother-in-law, all of her clocks are, it's either five or ten minutes fast. It gets to be, it just, it just wears on you after a while because she's ready to go. It takes 25 minutes to get to church from where they live, but she's ready to go an hour beforehand. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Get in the car now, let's go, go, go. You know, she only's got like two kids that are, and they're adults now, but she still sounds like the troops are all in the house and everything. But she's always early wherever she goes. And so, if you want to be early to something, plan to be there early. And that's a good way to do it. And I'll also just put this little plug. If you can show up early for work, but you can't show up early for church, you got something wrong with your priorities. We'll leave that there and just keep going. This is a Christmas message, yes. But do you realize Jesus came right at the right time? There was no better time for him to come. This was right when he was supposed to come. Now, you ask the Jews, they probably thought there was a better time. But God came right when he was supposed to. When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son. We see that. And when we think about that religiously, it was a good time to come. Culturally, the world, Greek, was a known language. And even you look at um, politically, it was a good time to come. You say, well, why? Because the Romans, you could... You could, it would be a lot easier. There was some different laws that they had. And the Roman Empire, you could, it could be an asset to spreading the gospel. The roads that they had, the different things that they did, and early missionaries and preachers could spread the gospel the way they did because they got some help in that realm. And yes, there's tons of persecution. We understand all of that. But it was the right time. And we see, first of all tonight, the origin of his mission. We see letter B. We see the objective of his mission. Verse 5 tells us what his mission was all about. To redeem them that were under the law <coughs> that we might receive the adoption of sons. 
That's why he came. The word redeem means to buy in a slave market through the payment of a redemption price, to buy for oneself and to forever remove from the sale. And Jesus Christ came into this world for one purpose and one purpose only, to die for the sins of humanity. That's what he made very clear in his statements. Luke chapter 19, verse number 10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. The whole reason he came. John 18, 37. Bible tells us, Pilate said, Therefore in him art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause I came into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that uh, is the truth heareth my voice. That's why he came. Even the prophet Isaiah talked about in the whole book of Isaiah 53 all the things and how his mission, what he was coming to do. Praise God, he did. Praise God, he came to give his life a ransom for many. Praise God that that was his objective. Let her see. We see the outcome of his mission. The outcome of his mission. What was the outcome? It is finished. He finished it. That's what the outcome of it was. His mission was to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoptions of sons. But I want you to understand something. He finished it. So the book of Hebrews talks about chapter 9 and verse number 12. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Do you have Hebrews 10, 10 to 14? By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin forever, sat down at the right hand of God <coughs> from henceforth expecting till his enemies made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected them forever them that are sanctified. The outcome of his mission, his sacrifice was sufficient. He's the propitiation for our sins. We see tonight, number one, the mission of heaven's gift. Number two, we see the ministry of heaven's gift. It's found there in verse five. Look at verse five, six, and seven. It says, to redeem them that are under the law that we, look at that word we, might receive the adoptions of sons. And because, look at the word ye, our sons, God sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore, look at the next word, thou art no more a servant but a son, and of a son and an heir of God through Christ. The ministry of heaven's gift, letter A, it was a personal ministry. Do you notice those words, we, ye, are, yours, thou? It was a personal ministry. He did what he did for for us. You know, with God is not just that's one of the things I love about God. It's not just people as a whole. He loves individuals. He loves us individually. He's a personal God. He talks about I will receive you. What a blessing it is. When he went to the cross, you know, there's a song he was on the cross. I was on his mind. I believe that's totally true. I don't believe in this limited atonement 
I believe that Jesus Christ died for all of us. And when he was on the cross, he thought, the Bible says, who for the joy that was set before him endure the cross. What joy was there on the cross? There was no joy. Joy that you're going to be, your father's going to turn his back on you and you're going to be separated from your father. What joy was there? Joy that you'd be beaten beyond recognition. Joy that you'd be nailed to a cross. No, the joy of us being with him in heaven forever. It's powerful when you stop to think about it. He died for us as individuals and I know that he died for me. I know he loves me. It was not only a personal ministry, but letter B, it was a peculiar ministry. Jesus did what no other person could have ever done. There is no one that could have done what he did. Out of all the billions of people who've ever lived on planet Earth, you take any of them but Jesus Christ and nail them to a cross, it would have done no good at all. The Bible says here he was made of a woman. Rarely, and in Bible days and even all of that, there's only a few times in the Bible where you hear back in Genesis, the woman's seed made of a woman because it was all about the, the seed coming from the man. That's where it would come from. And if Jesus Christ came from the seed of a man, Jesus Christ would be a sinner just like the rest of us. He was born a maid of a woman, virgin birth of Christ. And it's an important doctrine that we hold to. Because without a virgin-born Savior, we don't have a sinless Savior. And in order to be our Savior, He had to be sinless. It's the only way it could work. He was sinless, and he was God in the flesh. And the Bible's very clear about that. No one else could ever do what he did. Um, one day, the, Fran the French mathematician, Auguste Comte, I think that's how you say his name, was talking about religion one day with his Scottish essayist, Thomas Carlyle. Comte suggested they start a new religion to replace Christianity based on positive thinking and mathematical principles. I tell you right now, that would have gone nowhere. And especially with a lot of the students in our school and math principles and things like that. But anyways, Carlisle thought about it a moment this way. He said, very good, Mr. Comte, very good. All you need to do will be to speak as never a man spoke and live as never a man lived and be crucified and rise again the third day and get the world to believe that you're still living, then your religion will have a chance to live on. Jesus is the only one who could have done it. And you think about that. So many people come and go in this world. And if Jesus is not who he said he was, why do people still believe in him today? And make the claims that they do about him. And seen him work in their lives the way that he does because he's God. It was a peculiar ministry. Next one, let us see. It was a powerful ministry. <coughs> according, to <coughs> according to verse number five, it did two things, what Jesus did for us. We see there in verse five. To redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoptions, the adoption of sons. The ministry of heaven accomplished two things. It delivered us from the authority of the law that we could never keep. 
Remember the whole idea with the law? It was our schoolmaster to point us to a savior. And there, I know there are Christians out there, well, in the Old Testament, they got saved by keeping the law. That's not true. I believe salvation, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, forever, and the Lord says, I'm the Lord, I change not. I believe salvation is always the same and it's never changed. If you want to argue with that, you can go argue with someone who wants to argue with you about it. I just believe that to be the case because I believe that God doesn't change. But we see and we understand that the law, we can never keep it all. And Jesus broke the power of the law, the authority of it. And that also reconciled us and brought us to a place to where we could be part of God's family. Human effort, religion, <coughs> could never make any of those things possible. It's only by grace through faith. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That's the only way, what Jesus did. And the ministry that he had, it was a powerful ministry. And then number three, and lastly tonight, the message of heaven's gift. The message of heaven's gift. So we see, what was the objective here? Jesus would come. The mission was to redeem us and to not only redeem us, but to make so we could receive the adoptions of sons. He fulfilled what he was supposed to do, which leads us to the message. You look at verse number six. It says, And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore thou art no more a servant but a son of a son than an heir of God and an heir of God through Christ. We see the message of heaven's gift letter A. We see a message about our Father. Do you see that phrase there, Abba, Father? It's a phrase that expresses an intimacy God's children can enjoy with Him. It's not something that anybody can just call God Father. You know, I've got, I've got an earthly father. He just turned a couple weeks ago, turned 78. You couldn't go up to my dad and call him dad and it mean anything. He's my dad. It means something when I call my dad dad because of that relationship that we have. There's something that my kids have. By, they can call me dad. They can call me father. Dad, they call me dad most of the time or daddy if they want something. But other kids don't have that relationship. But do you realize tonight that because of what Jesus Christ did and because of the, the mission that he came to do and because of the ministry that he had and because all those things happened, it brought about a wonderful truth that our, we have a heavenly father. And it speaks about that relationship and how we can come to him. The Lord literally becomes our father. We can be as have a, as intimate of a relationship with God the Father as we want to have. It's a completely new idea in the New Testament that wasn't even talked about in the Old Testament. They had many names for God. Remember? Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah um, Shammah, Jehovah Rampha. Je um, you could go all these different names for God in the Old Testament. We've done a study before and seen all the Old Testament names. You know, the Lord provides, the Lord our peace, the Lord our strength, our, the Lord our banner, all these different names in the Old Testament. When God would work on behalf of his people, they would call on a name of God. But do you realize something? None of those things are found in the New Testament. 
When they prayed to God, they used whatever name was appropriate for their current situation and the circumstances they were in. When the disciples came to Jesus, they said, hey, Lord, teach us how to pray. What did Jesus say, Luke 11, 1? Our Father. It came to pass that as he prayed in a certain place, when he ceased, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. Do you have verse 2 or is it just verse 1? <coughs> I should have said verse number 2. I didn't tell you verse number 2. Even in my notes, I only have verse number 1. It says, when you pray, our Father. We don't have to memorize lots of names for God. We don't need to remember a certain name to help us out in a certain situation in our lives. He's our Father. That's all you need to remember. And Jesus ushered in something that the world had never seen before. The Jews, find me one Old Testament prophet or saint that ever called God Father in the Old Testament. You will not find it. Why? Because that relationship came when Jesus died on the cross. We have that today because of what Jesus did. You have a heavenly Father. We're no longer servants to sin and death, but by grace and through the blood of Jesus, we are sons and daughters of God. Praise God for it. That's why John marveled in 1 John 3 as I love those verses. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. When's the last time you just took some time to think about the fact that you're a child of God? We sang it tonight. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. When's the last time you just spent some time thinking about that? We don't deserve it. Do we deserve to be in family? No. And he even adopted us. You know, even if my dad didn't want me to be his son, he didn't have a choice because he had me. I'm still his son. And my kids, they're still, I'm still their dad, no matter what they think. I'm their dad. God adopted us. He said, I know how they are. I know how Brian is. I want him in my family. He's my son. That's the message that came. See, a message about our father, a message letter B, about our family. A message about our family. Verse number six there says, And because ye are sons, God sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You see it says, Notice ye are sons. There's an S on the end there. And into your hearts, S, crying, Abba, Father. The idea is that God has done a work of grace in us that has brought us and made us one family in him. That's what Ephesians has been talking about. We are a people saved by the same blood. If you're saved tonight, the same blood that saved you is the same blood that saved me. The same heaven I'm going to someday is the same heaven you're going to someday. The same spirit that lives inside of me is the same spirit that lives inside of you. And you might dress funny and wear a jet shirt to church or things like that, but besides those things, everything else, that's what he did. Do you realize there's no big eyes or you? There's not. It's just us. The redeemed children of God in love with God because of what he's done for us. Serving together, 
loving one another with Jesus because of what he's done and giving him glory. You notice that phrase there you see in verse number 6, and because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts. That little phrase, in your hearts, reminds us that there's something powerful about a group of people, God's people, a body of people, a church, where his love is the common thing we all have where his love is what helps us do what we do. There's power in that. You say, well, what are you trying to say? That love in our hearts never gets tired of singing the songs of God. Did you ever sit there? I remember as a kid, there'd be some songs in church, it seemed like certain songs we sang a lot. I don't know if it was because the song leader liked certain songs more than other songs. There'd be songs we never even sang that were like, that's a good song, but we never sang it because the song leader picked the songs and the song leader probably has some favorites. And uh, do you ever get to the place, I hope you never get to the spot to where you hear a song sung or you sing it in church, you're like, oh, I've been singing this one for five centuries now. Five centuries, yeah. Oh, I've been singing this song since I was five. Oh, there's something powerful about a group of people where the love for God is stirred up inside of them. You know, if we would just get a hold of the thing, as Paul said, the love of Christ, it constrains us. If we get a hold of that, imagine what we could do in this area if the love of Christ would just constrain us. That would be our focus on what we, we do what we do because of what he's done for us. But he's done that work in our hearts. Hey, we have the same spirit. We have all these different things that the Lord's given to us. We read here about our family and these different things. And something, it's just amazing what the Lord can do and there's something special about being a part of God's family. <coughs> and let her see. We see a message about our future. A message about our future. It says, look at verse number 7 there. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ... We're reminded that we are his heirs. Think about this. What belongs to the Father belongs to us as well. That's what Paul was saying in Romans eight seventeen. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Think about it with me. We are heirs of the greatest estate that could ever exist. And think about this. All our Father possesses and how He will move heaven. You think about when you think of all, all that He possesses, we get to possess as heirs. So what do you mean? Well, God is eternal and immortal, right? We get to inherit that. We serve a God who is holy and someday... We'll take off this corruption and put on incorruption. What God has for us is far beyond anything we could ever comprehend. But where he is, that's where we get to be all of those things. You know, when we talk about it, and as I think about unwrapping heaven's gift, I get excited to think about all Jesus is and all that he's done for me. He is worthy of praise. 
He's worthy of being glorified for saving a wretch like me. No, have you received the gift? And I'm not talking about I've heard that, I've heard that from people. Have you received the gift? Yeah. It's always my response. And uh, they want to know if I've received the gift of speaking in tongues. That's what that normally. Someone comes up to you and says, have you received the gift? Yep, I received it. Oh, you speak in tongues? Nope. What gift are you talking about? Jesus Christ? They don't say anything after you say that. That's not the gift they're thinking of. Have you received the gift? I think you have. What do you do with that gift? I think a lot of us, what we end up doing is we treat Jesus like we do our old Christmas presents. I could go into our house and I could show you what our kids got last Christmas. (coughs) And we'll just say a few things from last Christmas they still play with quite a bit. At least one thing. Most things from last Christmas are broken. Some of them even broke on Christmas Day, I believe. They use them a little bit of time, and then, what am I going to get now? What am I going to get now? But don't we do the same thing with God? He gave us the ultimate gift. Nothing you could ever ask for any greater. Nothing you could ever have. And yet, look at our commitment and our love for God. It pales in comparison for all he's done for me. Let's this time of year and all year long thank God for the unspeakable gift that was given to us. And may we live our lives in light of that gift always. And may we serve him, may we live for him, may we give him everything that we can and give him all the glory and give him all the praise because of all he's done. Because church, we can never praise him enough. (laughs) If you have 10 million years, you still can't praise him enough for all he's done. Let's focus on him. The teens tonight, we're starting youth group tonight. We sang a song. And I think we're going to close with this song tonight. Let me come to the piano, Caroline. I had them sing How Great Thou Art. When we sang that song, I could tell that several of them, their focus was not on the words on the song and about the Lord. I think they were still thinking about what they were eating for dinner or what they had already or what homework Brother McKee gave them at school today or the bad grade he gave them on a test today, you know, because it's always the teacher's fault. It's never the student's fault for getting a bad grade, right? <clears throat> Their focus wasn't on the Lord at all. But tonight you saw heaven's gift to you in Jesus Christ. And he came right us to make us part of his family. No, none other. And we're heirs of all the presence. Close tonight, we're going to sing How Great They Are. Just think about the words.